So we are finishing our series on the Beatitudes, the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've talked about a whole lot over these past eight weeks. And if you really pay attention to what we've been learning, it's really to become more like Christ. The goal every time as we cover each one of these different attitudes is to become more like Christ every step of the way. So to look at what we've covered the last few weeks, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he opens that whole Sermon on the Mount section with a a really a preamble or like an opening, like, hey, these are the things, these are the attitudes that you would have. And what's interesting is every one of these attitudes, he starts with blessed, and then he gives a reward. So again, I could ask it, I do most Sundays, how many of you would like to be blessed? Anybody? Mm-hmm. How many of you would like a reward? Anybody? Right? This isn't Oprah, so don't check under your seats. But we would all... like some sort of reward or an award or something, right? We would all want something like that. None of us would shy away from it, especially if it's given from God, because, I mean, he could give you anything, right? Who knows what that is? And, in fact, when we learn the Sermon on the Mount, when we learn the the Beatitudes, these are actually countercultural. In fact, if you begin to behave this way, you will not conform to the culture, but, in fact, you'll conform more like your Savior. You conform more like Jesus. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he gets everybody's attention. He draws everybody in near the location called the Horns of Hattin, right on the outside of the Sea of Galilee, to get everybody's attention with this natural amphitheater. And there would have been people from all over the, the countryside come to hear Jesus speak because he's Jesus, and they had the chance to bring people there. And as soon as they sit down on the side of the mountain and in the hill, he begins with these phrases. And they're so countercultural. In fact, many of us don't think that this would be called blessed at all. The first one he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we learned that those are the humble people that recognize they're not where they are because of just their hard work. They're where they are because their heavenly Father gave them the capacity to be there, gave them the different things they needed to achieve what they've achieved. And realizing that the only way to heaven is through Jesus, those are the poor in spirit. The second thing he talks about is blessed are those who mourn. And he says, for they will be comforted. And Jesus reminds us, and I mean the Greek word that Matthew uses here is to draw close to. And there's a sense in which when you're mourning, and we talked about this in week two, when you're mourning, your heavenly Father's closer to you than ever before. He draws close to you in the morning. And then the third attitude he talked about was, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we talked about that meekness isn't weakness, it just means gentleness, that a strong person can still be gentle. Those of you that are parents know what I'm talking about. You can give your kid a little if you need to, but you can also give them some popcorn and a movie. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That it doesn't mean you have to be mean or hard. And then if you take it to the position of leadership, Jesus says that you can't even begin to lead that way. If you're going to be a leader in the world, Jesus says, and you want to inherit the earth, you have to be a gentle leader, not weak, gentle. And he continues, he talks about the importance of uh, hunger for thirst and righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
And there's a sense in which the only way you received mercy from your heavenly Father, and this is going to sound offensive, and if you haven't heard the message, you need to go back and listen to it on the podcast, and then you'll know what we're talking about. But if you aren't merciful, how can you go to your heavenly Father and expect him to have mercy on you? Sounds a little hypocritical. And then the next thing Jesus talks about, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The people who have unmixed intentions, the people who are honest every step of the way, the people who have integrity, pure in heart, those are the individuals that will see God, he explains. And then we learned last week, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And why are they called children of God? Because they're demonstrating characteristics of their heavenly father. So over the course of this series, if you've missed a week or something like that, I so encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast and catch up because these build on one another. And not only that, they are an effort to make us more conformed to who Jesus is. Discipleship is what this ends up being. Now, today's topic. Today's topic. Today's topic is not popular in American Christianity. In fact, in Western Christianity at all. Today's topic is going to be something that if you are around, been around the church at all, you're probably not going to hear it preached on very much. Um, in fact, you're never going to hear it preached on TV because the televangelists don't cover it. Uh, it doesn't fit the prosperity gospel narrative at all. Um, and it really, to be honest, doesn't fit our Western view of the gospel. But our Western view of the gospel isn't necessarily correct when it leaves this key, key part out. And again, every one of us that grew up in that, in that space, we're gonna, you're going to want to press against. You're going to want to like, no, 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 Brandon, I hear you, but, but, but I'm not interested in that. And, and I hear you. I hear you. But you're missing out on a key part of the gospel if you do that. So before we begin, we had a phrase in the Marine Corps. And in fact, I don't think it was just in the Marine Corps. I think it probably spanned all branches. In fact, I would bet it probably went into law enforcement and first responders too. But it's this idea, and it's called embrace the suck. Now, I don't know if any of you have been part of the military in any capacity like I have. That's, that phrase probably came up a whole bunch in life. And what this was is this was the idea that you just sometimes have to embrace things that aren't fun. In fact, they, these were things like field ops. Those weren't always fun. Forced marches, hikes, or humps, those, those weren't fun. Uh, difficult and intense PT sessions or when you go through and you do like your physical fitness test, those weren't fun. Uh, hard workouts when you made the staff sergeant angry, those weren't fun, right? Deployments, those weren't always fun. And there was a sense in which we just get together and we kind of look around and go, I guess we just got to embrace the suck. I guess we just, we just got to put up with it. We just have to figure out a way to deal with it. And now I, I don't know about you all the time, but I know for me when things are difficult in life in general, I tend to want to get away from it. When things get a little bit hard and things get a little bit difficult and it's a little bit of a hill to climb, I want to press against, like I just would prefer to move away from it. I don't want to get too close to it. If I had any other option, I would probably do something else. And I mean, isn't it true that we do the same thing? Like, isn't it true that when something starts to become too difficult, don't, isn't your first reaction to get away from it? To get away from that idea, to get away from, from whatever is pressing on you and making you uncomfortable? 
We would prefer, if we could, to avoid hard things all the time, right? I mean, none of us would like to go through any type of hardship if we could to completely avoid it. And the televangelists and some people will tell you that Christianity will free you from all your hardships. That is false advertising. It will not. In fact, according to Jesus, you may go through more hardships because of your faith. More on that in just a second. But imagine this. God gave you a timeline. Let's put this in perspective for a second. God comes to you, gives you a timeline. And you can see all the major things that happen in your life. You can see them all. Boom, 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 boom. You know when all the things are coming. But he also shows you the difficult things, the hardships, the things that are going to be really, really hard. He shows you that coming job change that's going to shake up your whole life. He shows you that incoming move that's going to make you want nothing to do with moving your family again. That's going to make you want to just to just quit altogether. He's going to show you that first year of marriage and how difficult it can be. He's going to show you that first year of adding a new family member, a little baby, to your life and how difficult that can be. He's going to show you the the first crisis of faith you've had and how difficult a crisis of faith can be. And the time that you, that time in college that you don't really want to talk about, that you've not told anybody about, when that, ha- if he showed you that on a timeline and you knew it was coming beforehand, even the pain and loss of a, of a loved one, losing your mom or your dad, if he gave you a timeline and then gave you a special editor, you, I would bet, given the opportunity, would take those out. I bet every one of us, if we're honest, would clip those out. Just like a quick little editing of a video we took on our iPhone if we had the opportunity. I would just clip it out so I didn't have to deal with those problems. I just wanted, and those of us that don't like change at all, that are uncomfortable with change, we would just take them all out. I'm not interested in any of them, right? Like, I don't want any of those. And the truth is, is that naturally, when things become difficult, we want to go away from and press against and not be part of it. But that's not a good idea because it removes us and limits us in our growth. And again, most of us, if we had that opportunity, we would just remove them. We would just remove them. But Jesus tells us, and he, he tells us that we will experience hardships sometimes because of our faith, because of our faith. And this, again, is the one that nobody wants to talk about. It's the one that nobody wants to do the Bible study on. It's not the one anybody wants to put on their coffee mug or on their T-shirt. This is the one that everybody's uncomfortable with. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. This is for you. When they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now what's interesting if you paid attention to the language and even in the Greek, it's a definitive. When it happens. Not an if. So it's not an if. It's not an if you begin to be persecuted because of your faith. It's not an if you begin to not kind of fit culture because of your faith. 
It's not an if. It's a guaranteed win. It's going to happen. It's not a hypothetical. And if it hasn't happened yet, it will. Because culture is simply hostile to the gospel. It doesn't want anything to do with it. And more and more in our Western culture today, Christianity and faith is a laughable practice. Case in point. On the biggest podcast in the United States, the Joe Rogan Experience, he had a guy on there. And some of you go, Pastor listens to Joe Rogan? Pastor does listen to Joe Rogan from time to time. It is my guilty pleasure. Pray for me. <laughs> but he, was had, he had this guest on, and this guest was talking about, you know, they talked about different faith traditions. And then when they brought up the Bible and they started talking about it, now this, this individual had some, a very poor experience with the church. Uh, he, he, he actually ran into a brand of Christianity, not Christians. That's the way I like to put it. But he, he ran into it, and when he's talking about it, he said, I, I, I don't read fiction. I'm the biggest podcast in, in the world. And, and if you think that, that any of that's the stuff we watch on Disney or Netflix is somehow building your faith, you need to share your channels with me because I haven't found any of those yet. Because it's just not the way it works. In fact, culture in a lot of places is against what Christianity stands for. Now, when you break it all apart, they're not. But the idea of Christianity makes people uncomfortable sometimes. It, makes, it simply makes people uncomfortable. And you've probably met this tension before. You've run into this in your life. You've run into this in your workspace. You've run into this in college. You've run into this in high school. You've run into this in, in maybe even in your family. You have family members who don't believe, and they go, why do you believe that? That's so stupid. Why would you want to follow somebody like that? I mean, come on, he's, he's a dead rabbi. Like, you've probably heard these arguments before. You've probably run into these situations before and how uncomfortable it makes you feel when you get into those moments. And we shouldn't be surprised when they happen. We shouldn't be surprised because, again, the message of Jesus flies in the face of culture. And we should be happy that it flies in the face of culture, but it's sometimes it's just too offensive for people. Because what people do is because the church has been not the best example of this in the past, they hear the gospel and they immediately think, all you're going to do is judge me and put rules on me. And that's all you're going to do. You're not going to work to introduce me to my heavenly father who loves me more than anything in this world. That's not what you're going to work to do. You're not going to work to tell me that Jesus died for my sins and covers all of them regardless of what they are. And he loves me even though I'm jacked up beyond belief. That's what we should be doing. But a lot of times culture hears the gospel and they don't hear the real thing. They hear something different. And when they hear something different, they begin to press against and they're not interested in. And I don't want your rules and I don't want your limitations. I don't want your worldview. And then if you get into the college space, it becomes you're dumb if you listen to that. You're not intelligent if you begin to follow those people. You're not intelligent if you're part of a church. I mean, the idea of community is great, but you're not smart if you're one of those individuals that have faith. And those of you that go, well, Brandon, you were part of a, of a, of a Christian college. I was, but I also went to secular college too. And I know what they say. I know what the kids and the students are going to experience. And you go, that's why I put such an emphasis and why our leadership put such an emphasis on the next generation's faith. Because I know the environment that they're going to go into. I know the situation they're going to run into. And we've got to pay attention to it. But again, they, people don't hear the gospel for what it really is. And when they do, sometimes something 
amazing happens. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes because people know you're a Christian, they're going to treat you poorly. Sometimes because people know you're a Christian, they're not going to want anything to do with you. Sometimes you're not going to get the invite to dinner. Sometimes you're not going to get the invite to go hang out after work. Sometimes you're going to lose friends because of your faith in Jesus. Sometimes you may end up getting segregated from your family because of your faith in Jesus. And you sit back and you go, Brandon, is, is this really like part of it? Yes, it is. Jesus warned us about it because he's polarizing. He changes the narrative on so many things. And here's the point. It's never changed. It's been like that from the beginning. In fact, we're actually at the best iteration of it right now, still not fully accepted. So Jesus experienced it in his time, his followers experienced it in his time, and then after his death, with the church exploding and expanding all over the Asia Minor, they faced persecution. Miracles left and right still faced persecution. Light persecution compared to what we've experienced today. Peter, the Apostle Peter, in fact, reminds the scattered church of this in his letter to the church. Now, to understand the gravity of Peter's words, you have to understand what Peter was going through at the time and what the church was going through. So this was written somewhere around 60 AD. So this was before the fall of the temple. So Judaism was still like a pretty big influence in the world. But Christianity had really taken off, particularly with the Gentiles, the the non-Jews. And it expanded all the way into Rome, in the area around Asia Minor there in Rome. And in that area, Emperor Nero, you probably remember his name before, he wasn't a great guy. He was actually a very bad person. He would use Christians for his personal candles in his garden, where he would put them on a stake and then burn them alive. That's how he lit up his garden So tradition tells us he would feed Christians to the lions inside of the gladiator pits. That's just what he did. He wasn't a very good person at all. And consequently, if the emperor doesn't like a group of people, most of Rome doesn't like a group of people. In fact, Emperor Nero burns Rome to the ground and, and blames it on the Christians. That's how much he really didn't like us. And This is the context that Peter is writing into. Peter, the aggressive apostle, the apostle who went to cut off some dude's ear. That's who's writing these words. So let that weight sink in when you hear these words compared to the Peter we know of the Gospels and how much he's matured in seeing the Holy Spirit work to now. Peter says, dear friends, talking to the church Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. What are you so surprised for, Peter would say. Don't be surprised. And he uses the words fiery ordeal because they were being burned at the stake. It was was Peter's way of saying, hey, don't be surprised when this stuff happens. Don't be surprised when you're persecuted. Don't be surprised when they kick down your door because you're worshiping Jesus. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't be off-put by it, Peter would say. Do not be surprised. This was deliberate language. 
He continues, he says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And here's the key part that we often forget when it comes to like being persecuted or being, you know, mistreated because of our faith or being categorized because of our faith or discredited because of our faith. They first did it to him. They first did it to Jesus. He warned us of it. And then it happens again today. And the key part that Peter reminds the church that I think we need reminding, when it's happening, when it's happening to you, you're participating with Christ in it. He's there with you in the persecution, in the uncomfortableness, in the stuff that you just can't stand that you really, really hate dealing with. You're not alone. He's there with you. He says participating in the sufferings of Christ. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. It's almost like Peter leans back on the Sermon on the Mount when it's like he's writing, thinking back to that moment when Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted uh, because of my name. He hearkens back to the Sermon on the Mount and Peter reminds us, he says, you are so blessed, to which every one of us sitting in this room is probably thinking the same thing that everybody that opened that letter is thinking. What are you talking about, Peter? I don't feel blessed when I get segregated because of my faith. Peter, I don't feel blessed when I'm not allowed to hang out with my friends or I can't, you know, be around people. I can't date this person because they, I'm a Christian. And they just don't want anything to do with me. Peter, I really don't like being called stupid because I believe in the Bible. Peter, I don't know about you, but I don't feel blessed when those things happen. I don't feel blessed, in fact, at all. I don't feel blessed when people look down on me. I don't feel blessed with any of that. In fact, many of us sit in the room and go, Peter, what on earth are you talking about? Okay, we got it. You got to endure it. You got to embrace the suck. We got that, Peter. But blessed? I mean, that sounds kind of ridiculous. And now you wouldn't say that to Jesus, but you would say that to Peter, right? Because that's, what, that's kind of what ends up happening when we go through these things. Peter continues. He, does, he doesn't stop. He doesn't let off the gas. He says, if you suffer, it should be, uh, if you suffer, suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even is a meddler, which the term for meddler is like a gossiper or slanderer, somebody that's using words to hurt other people or tear people's reputation down, like meddling in other people's affairs kind of deal. So Peter kind of covers the gambit of things that, that aren't good, that you shouldn't do. And, and he's, he reminds us that if you're going to suffer, it shouldn't be for those things. In fact, he reminds us that if you're suffering because of those things, do not try to say it's because of Jesus. That's not true. He says, he says it's not because of Jesus at all. It's not because of any of that. It's because you made a bad decision and you're suffering because of your decision. That that's what's happening and it's not because of your faith. But he's not done. He says, however, if you're suffering as a Christian... Meaning you're suffering because, and you're being persecuted because. Now, if you open your big mouth and you make everybody frustrated and then you don't even get invited to the party, that's on you, homie. That's what Peter's trying to say. That's your fault. That's your problem. But now, if you don't get to be part of it because you're just a Christian, now that's called a Christian suffering. 
He says, in that regard, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. He says, praise God that you bear the name. And I think that as Peter says that, he remembers Acts chapter 5, where he was going around preaching Jesus and the apostles were, and the Sanhedrin came after them. That's the Jewish temple leaders. They came after, they came after Peter and the apostles. So much so they took them to court. They were going to kill them on the spot. They were about it. That's what they had done every other time before until a very intelligent Pharisee got up. And he said, hold on, guys. There might be something to this whole Jesus thing. If there is, we are going to be, these are his words, we are going to be fighting against God. This is a Pharisee saying this. If we, even if we kill Peter and every, all the apostles, we're still going to be fighting against God and we can't stop his will from being done. So the Sanhedrin gathers and they say, you know what? Let's just punish them and send them on their way. If it's just a, a human thing, it'll, it'll peter out. But if it's a God thing, it'll take off. So that's what they do. They gather and they give them 40 lashes, well, 40 minus one, so 39 lashes, the flogging as it was known, and they send the apostles back into the world. Listen to the words that Peter says, because it's the same flogging that Jesus received years earlier. It's not not any different. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name, capital N, for the name. And as Peter's penning his letter, I think he remembers that moment. I think he remembers, I remember remember that spiritual moment. I remember giving it all and, and it being hard and it being uncomfortable and being persecuted and being hurt because of this. I remember it all, but man, I remember how worthy I felt. I remember how connected I felt. He says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. And then in verse 19, he brings it all in for a close. He kind of wraps it in a neat little bow. He says, so then, given everything you've been through, given all the garbage that you've experienced, given everything that I've said, this is, this is Peter's words, given everything that's happened, those who suffer according to God's will, not because of their own bad decisions, clarify that, not because of their own bad decisions, but those who are suffering according to God's will because they profess faith in Jesus and they profess their faith should commit themselves to their faithful creator, which is to double down on the faith and continue to do good. Continue to do good. See, the implication of this is astronomical. It's astounding if we can actually grasp it. The implication is that suffering at the hands of our culture is an opportunity. And every one of us go, that doesn't sound like an opportunity, bro. Like, you've, been, you've probably been praying, and maybe you need to turn down the incense in your office because I think you're a little hot, right? Like, you, that's not an opportunity, Brandon, at all. But the truth is, it is. It absolutely is. Because when you begin to be persecuted and you begin to be persecuted because of your faith and removed from places because of your faith or mistreated because of your faith, you have an opportunity like never before to show 
Christ. You have an opportunity like never before because culture expects us to attack back. That's what they want. That's what they expect. That's the natural thing. When somebody comes up to you and says, I can't believe, I had a guy in the Marine Corps, he would say, you still in that God kick, Brandon? Yeah. He texts me randomly sometimes. You still in that God kick? Yeah, still in that God kick. Yeah. Okay. Just th- that's the culture you run into sometimes. And when that happens, you have an opportunity because they expect you to argue back. And there were times this guy would try to get me to argue. I got a guy, right? I got a couple guys on social media, which is the worst place to argue. You don't argue on social media. But I have a couple guys on there that bait all the time. They would love for us to argue. They would love for me to get in it with them. And in fact, culture's waiting for it. That's the expectation. The expectation is, is if you get mistreated, you mistreat. The expectation is if you're hurt, you hurt. That's what you should do, in fact. If you go to many different people, they say that's the way that it should be handled. And they'll even say it's biblical, eye for an eye. That is not true. That is not what that's talking about. Okay? And Jesus even said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I tell you to turn the other cheek. So if you want to use that one, try not to use one that Jesus called out himself. Okay? Just note to self. Try not to use one that he made sure he clarified. But the truth is, Christianity gained influence in the Roman Empire and the entire world, not at the point of a sword, but on the blood of martyrs. Not at the point of a sword. So attacking and arguing and fighting with individuals because of your faith does nothing. It's not going to move the ball down the field because that's not how your Savior did it. It wasn't on the point of a sword. It was on the blood of martyrs. And Peter reminds us that being persecuted, as much as, as much as it's uncomfortable, and going through hardships because of our faith, as much as we hate it, is part of our faith journey. It's part of our experience. And those of you that are not Christians, you're sitting around going, why would anybody want to join this crazy group of people? They want to be persecuted. It's been our calling card. It's been what Christianity is. It's been the idea. It's, it, it comes down to Jesus' greatest commandment. When he says, love God, love people, and they go, that love people part, Jesus, is really hard. He says, let me spell it out for you. Love others the way I have loved you. And if that doesn't make any sense, just pay attention tomorrow because I'm going to give my life for you. So, so if you don't understand it, then, hey, this is just the way you do life. As a Christian, you behave this way. And that's exactly why Paul's, or Peter's like, hey, it's an opportunity. You have the ability when you are in that position, going through hardship because of your faith, to show Christ like never before. And yes, we share in God's eternal glory when that happens. When, the, when it all said and done, we share in God's eternal glory, eternal glory. And that is something to be so thankful for and to be so excited for. But while we're here on earth, it's an opportunity, and we dare not, we dare not miss it. Peter even says that we should praise God for the unique opportunity he's handed us. Praise him for the persecution when it comes. But here's the rub. This is the part where we get uncomfortable. Is that last part of the verse. Continue to do good. Continue to do good. You don't get to go around and treat people poorly because they did to you. You don't get to do that. 
Jesus makes clear you can't do that. Peter reiterates it. He goes, no, 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 just because this is happening. And think about it. I haven't seen any Christians being burned at the stake here in Fredericksburg. So I don't think that we really have the option to say, no, I'm going to attack back. I'm going to stop being the church. I'm going to stop being kind and stop loving. When Peter, writing to first century Christians in Rome, he says, you continue to do good. You continue to show the gospel despite of what culture says or does to you. You continue to demonstrate Jesus in every aspect of your life, regardless of what they say or do. And I'm telling you, if the church could get that right, the world would be different. The world would, not just the, everything would be different. If the church could just, regardless of what they say and regardless of what they do, focus on being the church. Focus on the thing Jesus told us to do, loving our Heavenly Father and loving the people around us. If we could do that, because, again, you don't get to stop being kind because they weren't kind to you. You don't get to stop loving because they stopped loving. I mean, you don't get to stop serving the community because culture doesn't like your church or because culture doesn't like your Savior. You, you don't get to stop being a Christian because culture wants you to. You don't, we don't get to behave that way. I mean, imagine Jesus fully rejected. Where would you be in your life right now if Jesus fully rejected by the culture said, no, I'm not going to the cross? Imagine what would happen. And I think the American church today, because it ignores this part of the scripture, sit back and goes, I'm not going to the cross. I think when Jesus says, bear your cross, he's talking about these types of things. And the American church goes, nah. I want to sit in my building, sing my hymns, sing my music, drink my coffee, and only talk to my people. And when somebody's mean to me, I'm not going to talk to them at all. I'm not going to behave Christian-like to them. When they're mean, I'm going to be mean back. When they attack, can't wait to attack them back. I'm so excited for it. And I'm going to tell my pastor about it, and he's so distorted, he's going to back me doing it. Wake up. That's not what the Bible tells us to do, and that's not what Jesus instructs us to do. It's not going to change the culture the way that Christ has called us to change the culture. Because when you stop being known for what the church is known for, what the church should be known for, loving our neighbors. That's why Peter says, look, you get to do a lot of things, but you don't get to stop being the church. You, 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 don't, you get to do a lot of things, but you can't stop doing that. And if you're a Jesus follower, it's almost not optional. If you're not a Jesus follower, this message isn't necessarily for you. Um, it's probably one of those messages where you go, hmm, let's go and join that group, not this week. Um, I'll wait till he starts talking about love and stuff before I start joining that group. I want to be part of this. There's crazy people looking for persecution and stuff. But if we're taking the words of Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, he's called the perfecter, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And again, what would happen if he didn't go to the cross in your life? If you're a Jesus follower, what would have happened? What salvation do you have? What, what rejoicing do you have? What repairing of your relationships do you have if he wasn't willing to go to the cross? See, that's what's wrong. That's one of the things that's what's wrong with the American church today. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And let me tell you, this is my least, one of my least favorite messages to preach on. This and sex, my two least favorites, just to preach on. It's not easy to practice. It's uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, I'm kind of telling you to embrace the suck. 
but it's just part of our faith. And if we get to a place where we, where we accept the prosperity gospel, and we accept this idea that we can stop being in the church because people don't love us the way we want them to, because they don't behave the way we want them to, of course they don't. They don't have the good news of Jesus Christ. They don't have the idea that every man, woman, and child is built in the image of God. So why on earth would they think and behave the way you want them to? They don't have the same worldview as you. And as long as you stay inside the church building, and as long as we all stay inside the church building and just argue about these points from the outside, nothing changes. The church continues to shrink. It continues to lose influence in the world. Lives aren't changed. People don't know about Jesus. And we're an afterthought when we should be the thought for the entire world. So, Jesus reminds us Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. When it happens, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How different do you think the world would look if Christians could get this part right? If it wasn't a part of our faith that we didn't engage with, if it wasn't a part of our faith that we ran from, if it was a part of our faith that we embraced, that we engaged, that we grabbed a hold of and said, yeah, culture's not going to like me sometimes, culture's not going to understand me, and that's okay. And when that happens, I'm going to use it as an opportunity to show Christ like never before. Because in those moments is when they really get to see Jesus in you. Those are the moments when they expect you to fight, when they expect you to claw, when they expect you to argue and fight around. That's not what Jesus said. And for our churches today, we have somehow gotten away from the heart of the gospel. And from the heart of what Jesus told us to do. To love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, that's what you'll be known for. That's what you'll be known for. Not how well you can articulate that Genesis is true. Not how well that you can argue your point. Not how well you can argue your theological standing. People will know that you're a Jesus follower because of the way you love those around you. So in the words of Peter, continue to do good. Continue to be the light of the world. Continue to be the salt of the earth. Because our goal is an eternal goal, not a temporary one. We're not interested in winning the argument. We're interested in winning souls. That's what we're after. So continue to do good. With that, let's pray.